Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Well, this morning, Hebrews 11, we are in verse 8, and we have the late, great Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. So are you, Brian or Terry. I don't know who said that. One of you two. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm sharing a lot about my upbringing just by reciting that ancient poem to you. Um, This morning we get to the great Abraham here in verse 8, and this is going to be the first of three weeks that we're going to be studying this incredible example of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham is called in Scripture the father of faith. Genesis 3 says that as many of us as have faith in God, we are sons of Abraham. Uh, His name, Abraham, was changed from Abram, which meant exalted father. Uh, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes, to sort of almost... um, give a glimpse of not only the promise that God makes to Abraham, that he'd be a father of many nations, but that he would be a father of faith for generations to come. And so with a character like Abraham, a father of faith, it's going to require us to take a few weeks to really unpack all that God wants to teach us through his example of faith. And in fact, that's that's not our own idea. As we follow the, the, the flow of the text, we're going to have three different features of Abraham's faith. Uh, And that's kind of what we're doing here each and every week is looking at what sort of action of faith did these uh, Old Testament saints take? What what did their faith look like? Because that's the big idea of faith. Faith is not just a belief. It's most truly displayed as a behavior. And so we're looking at these different behaviors of faith and kind of growing our understanding of what faith could look like in our life as well. And so this morning, as we're in Hebrews 11, verse 8, we're going to look at how Abraham, and here's the big focus of this morning, Abraham obeyed God by faith. All right, so just kind of a heads up today in church, we're talking about obedience, which is never like an invited topic because we all struggle to obey to some degree or another, Uh, but that's what we're, we're getting into. It's what Hebrews 11, verse 8 says. Notice this verse. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham didn't just believe some things, but he behaved in obedience when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he, by faith and obedience, went out, not knowing where he was going. Now, maybe you're like, I have no idea where we're going right now. What does this story even mean? As it was originally included in this passage, there was the assumption and even knowledge that the the readers of Hebrews 11 knew what was going on, but we can't assume that for everybody in this room. So just a little background. I also have you turn to Genesis chapter 12. And what's cool about Hebrews 11 is it follows the the timeline of the, the, the story of history from creation to fall, to Cain and Abel, to Enoch in the, in the lineage of Genesis 5. Uh, last week, we looked at the, the famous Noah in Genesis 6. Uh, and then we find our way post-flood. Multitudes are multiplying on the earth, and we end up with a guy named Abraham, originally called Abram. 
And we see that God selects this man in his grace and mercy. There was nothing about Abraham that God looked on at and said, you know what, you got some potential. You could be a father of many nations if you keep this stuff up, you know. Abraham, the Bible teaches, was an idolater, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, as far from God as you could imagine. It's a great picture of salvation, that God receives us and saves us in his grace. Not because we earn it and make our way to him, but it's according to his kindness and his mercy that he brings us into his family. He calls us to himself. And that's Abram. Abram's doing his thing. He's not seeking God, but God is seeking him. And it tells us that the Lord had said to Abram. So we don't know exactly when this happened. Uh, We know where it happened. It happened in his hometown of, of Ur. Of the Chaldee. What a great place. Where are you from? Right, Ur, you know. Um, from Ur. Oh, I'm from right there. That's interesting. All right. Abraham was chilling out. More to come. Abraham was chilling out in Ur, and the Lord said to him, Get out of your country. Here's the call. This is what God tells him to do. This is what God is expecting him to be obedient to. Abram, he's like, Yes, the living God. I've been serving and worshiping false God. Get out of your country. Notice this from your family. And from your father's house, you're way too old to be living at home, Abram. You're like 70 years old, okay? Stop playing video games, okay? To a land, just kidding, to a land that I will show you. Notice this. I'm calling you to get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. How ambiguous is this? To a place I'm going to show you. Where? You'll see when we get there, okay? To a land I will show you. And then God makes this incredible promise. This is known as the Abrahamic or the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abram here. I will make you a great nation. God promises to make him a nation, which if you are um, unsure or wondering if there's any evidence for God, today there is a nation called Israel that has stood the test of all the thousands of years, tracing all the way back to a promise that God would make. If you just study history and, and, and a Jewish history, um, the existence and the perseverance and the preservation of the nation of Israel is one of the greatest evidences for God. All the other ites are gone, by the way, okay? The Malachites, the Himites, the Termites, all of them, they're all gone. The Israelites, the Israelites, God promises Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Thousands of years from now, there's going to be a church in Boca Raton studying you. You're going to be the father of faith. Look at these promises. And notice, here's the kicker. Here's why. You shall be a blessing. It's through your lineage that he'll go on to say, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because the Messiah is going to come through you. I will bless those who bless you. This is Jewish history. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God gives him some promises, but those promises, they are preceded by a calling. Abraham, I need you to do some things. I need you to get up and get out of your context. Leave behind Ur and go there, right? I want you to get up and get out of your comfort zone. I want you to leave behind the old to step into the new, and by faith, It says, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. We're going to talk about that. And Abram was, that's his nephew, by the way, Lot. All right. It's like he took a lot with him. That's good. Good for him. No, this is a guy. This is his nephew, Lot. And Abram was 75 years old. It says here, when he departed from Haran. So this is kind of looking back. He's in Ur, 
called out. And at this point, 75 years old, he's still on his journey departing from Haran. But the key word here is Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Back to Hebrews 11, we kind of get the same uh, idea. Now the context helps us understand what's being said here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to go out to the place he would receive. By faith, Abraham did the thing that God called him to do. And that's obedience. Let's define this as we look at Abraham's obedience. Let's put a little definition on it so we know what God calls us to as well. And I want to be specific to call it spiritual obedience. There's a lot of different kinds of obedience. We're not called to obey anyone and everything at all costs. There's cases in scripture where man is called to even obey God at the expense of disobeying man. So we're not getting into kind of civil obedience and even domestic, but just what we'll call it spiritual obedience today to refer to are calling to obey God, just as Abraham did. If there's a simple definition, we'll say this. Spiritual obedience, what Abraham models, is simply doing the things that God has instructed you to do. By faith, Abraham did the things. He did it. In fact, we saw this with Noah last week. God's like, build an ark. Noah's like, what's an ark? There's a flood coming. What's a flood? Okay, and it says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Same here with Abraham. What a good example he did the thing that he was instructed to do. And that, that's really the key to Abraham's faith. Like, he left because God told him to. And I, I want to point that out. Like, you know, I think in the church today we can, we can glamorize um, faith that goes. Like, I got to be like Abraham. I, you know what? That's my problem. I need to leave my family. That's what's wrong. I got to be more obedient, and I got to go. And so the, the, the key here is not that you're supposed to leave your context. That's not always faith. I think of um, kind of two kinds of faith that you see in scripture. There's staying faith as well as leaving, leaving faith. Uh, you know, I think of, of Paul telling Timothy in 1 Timothy, remain in Ephesus. There, there's seasons of life where the calling is to step out and leave. And there's seasons of life where the greater step of faith is to stay right where you are. You ever face that? Like, you know what I mean? Where it's like easier to pull eject, you know? Like, okay, I, by faith, I'm going to leave. This is my verse, my confirmation. I'm going to leave this job. I'm going to leave this whatever. I'm going to leave this difficult relationship. So we got to remember, it's, it's the, the, the faith of Abraham is not in just the fact that he left. The key to Abraham's faith was he did just as God instructed. That's the question to obedience in our lives. What has God instructed us to do? What has he said? How has he directed? How has he called us? And are we doing it? Are we obeying it? That's spiritual obedience. Now, I want to give, you, give us, um, if it's your first time at Solus, basically the way that I teach is I, I like to preach and teach, but I just like to unload Bible verses about whatever it is we're talking about. So have your notepad ready. I want to give just a couple biblical principles uh, to understand first obedience, spiritual obedience that we're defining here and that Abraham is modeling here. Some really key principles about obedience. I think the first thing is the biblical principle that teaches that obedience, and we all know this, so you don't need me to teach this to you, but I'm just reminding us, obedience is not the human default. Let's start there. Obedience is not the default. The reason why Abraham is being held up as such an example is because obedience to God is not the norm. In fact, what it, what's wrong with the human race is that we are in our father Adam, who from the beginning disobeyed. And Romans 5 talks all about how the disobedience of, of Adam has reaped horrible consequences in the world 
and in humanity. And it's not, we're, we're not just like victims of that. We're also co-conspirators, you know. We, we're collaborators with Adam because we also disobey. And everything wrong, most of the things that go wrong in our life, we, we could, if we're honest, not everything, but if we're honest, there's things in our life that are the way they are because of our disobedience, because of our, our unwillingness to trust God like Abram and do what he's called us to do. So, so that's a, a key principle. Um, and I think this is important to say because maybe there's some people in this room who, like, don't understand Christianity that way. Like, your understanding of Christianity is, like, the obedient people. Oh, that's the, the obedient gathering, the gathering of thy obedient, you know? And here we are, the obedient ones. And that's actually not the message of the gospel. That's not the central point of Christianity. The central point of Christianity is not that, um, you know, a bunch of people get to be a part of the family of God because they were good enough and obeyed enough, but it's the exact opposite. It's that God was good enough despite our disobedience, that God is gracious enough despite the fact that we wander. Uh, th this is what Paul reminds the church in, in Titus chapter 3. He says, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, and deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He's like, here is the sinful default. Here's the, the bend, the problem that we have in our nature. And it, and it bends towards like a misalignment in a car. It veers us into disobedience, not doing the things that God has instructed us to do from the beginning even until now. And this is, this is the story of God. Okay, the story of Israel, we can even look at Israel as a picture of God's relationship with his people. It's not a story of a God like, like up on the, the, the guardrails of heaven clapping for his obedient children. Like they're doing what I told them to do. This is the, this is the summary of the Old Testament. Um, all day long, God is saying, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You know, in this verse, you have a great description of humanity and a great description of God. The description, and not just any humanity, these are God's chosen people, his people. You can modernize this to be the church, Christians. And you have this picture of humanity being a constantly disobedient, and notice this, a contrary people. Contrary to what God has, what God says, what God wants. But you also have a picture of God. I love this. This is the gospel. This is the nature of God all day long Notice this outward posture of God. I stretch out my hands to disobedient people. Some of us have this picture of God where he kind of has his arms folded, you know, like waiting for obedience. Once you obey and get to me, I'll welcome you and I'll love you. But what an opposite picture, right? All day long, isn't this good news for us? I don't know, maybe a couple disobedient people in here like me, maybe one or two, but for those of us who struggle to obey, to say the least, you have a picture of God here that's always just stretching out his hands in love and grace to his disobedient children. Now, as we kind of speed this up a little bit, notice what Romans 1 says about this. And I thought I had this verse in here. Let me see. I do not. Great. Um, oh, yeah, I do. Cool. Um, it's always nice when it works out. All right. Romans 1 says this. Through Jesus, through Jesus, which is God stretching out his hands to the extent of saving us through his son, we've received grace, and I like this, and apostleship, notice this, for obedience to the faith among the nations. So just some biblical principles about obedience, okay? It's not our default, but thanks be to God. God is gracious towards us who are disobedient, always stretching out his hands towards us. And we have received through his son Jesus grace for obedience, 
We don't, we don't receive grace because we're obedient. That's the wrong order of the Christian faith. But instead, because we've received grace, we live for obedience. Like this is, I was reading through Romans earlier this year, and this really stuck out to me. We've received grace for obedience. Why have I received the incredible grace of God? Because God wants to me, me to grow in obedience. It's really interesting. Um, and th- this is such an important uh, principle here. Tim Keller uh, says it best um, when contrasting the way of religion and the way of Christianity in, in terms of obedience. He says, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. God accepts me now. I've obeyed, and now I get grace. Christianity says, no, I'm accepted by grace. Therefore, I've received that grace for obedience. There's nothing that will motivate obedience more than knowing you're already accepted by God. Knowing that it's not your obedience or your disobedience that, that you know, determines your connection with him or his grace for you. But I've received grace for obedience. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And, and this is really the Christian life now. Uh, The Christian life is a life where we're seeking to grow in our obedience. Um, Jesus himself, when Jesus became, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Great is the mystery of this, that God was manifested in the flesh. The Bible says that Jesus, in his humanity, Hebrews 5.8, that Jesus as a son, notice this, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There was a sense in which Jesus grew, the Bible says, in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus, I mean, think about this, the God of the universe learning something, okay? Jesus learned obedience in his humanity, growing up to learn obedience. I mean, there's a key point about this, like, the principle is obedience must be learned. It's not something, like, if you have children, you know this, right? Like, come on, this isn't new news. You're like, my kids obey. i got to teach them to disobey, actually. It's the opposite. I'm trying to get them to be more disobedient, you know? It's like, no. Obedience is something that has to be taught, uh, has to be learned. Jesus himself, in his humanity, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He went to the school of obedience. Now, here's what's really interesting. The Great Commission, where Jesus sends out the disciples into the world to make disciples, it's a commission to almost like invite more people into this school. Told you I got a bunch of Bible for you, okay? Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. This is the vision for the church in the future. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these, this is the NLT, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. So this is the mission of the church. The reason why Soul's Church exists is not merely to teach people what Jesus has commanded. Here's what he's commanded. But all of our ministry, all of our activity, it should be moving towards this direction of of us as a community actually living in the things of Jesus. Like It's so much easier to teach what Jesus has commanded than it is to teach people to obey what he's commanded. Like If all of our job was to do was just like, here's what he said to do. But the, the purpose of the church, making disciples, is, is enrol, enrolling people in the school of obedience. Obedience school for adults, I guess. Um, it's growing in our ability 
to do what God has instructed us to do by his Holy Spirit. Now that we are new in Christ, this is what it's all about. I mean, this is why we don't just gather on Sundays and hear sermons and study the Bible and go, oh, cool, I learned stuff. We, we, we gather and then we scatter throughout the week in smaller communities where we, let, we don't just read God's word, but we let God's word actually read us. And we go, okay, this is what it says. That's wonderful. We have all these concepts. But how does that actually come to bear and come into connection with how I'm living? Like, cool, I have all these biblical principles about obedience. Am I myself growing in obedience? Where am I disobedient? Where do I need to employ greater obedience? Where do I need to learn obedience? So, so we take these little discussion guides that Kyle writes, and we take the, the, the passages we're looking at, and we, we reflect on them personally, because that's our mission as a church. It's not just teaching what Jesus says, but we want to move towards where he's leading us, which is actually living in what he's given us grace to live in. Um, here's why this is so important. I promise, just two more big Bible verses, and then we got 20 more, okay? That makes sense somehow. Jesus says in John 14, 15, this is why obedience is just so important as those of us who are following Jesus, as those of us who have been saved by Jesus for obedience. You know, the reason, it, we don't live in obedience to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, we're so obedient. Look at our obedience, just amazing. Okay, no. Jesus said the reason why we obey is because our obedience is the, the extent and the evidence of our love for Jesus. It comes out of this place. Jesus has so radically loved us, and we want to love him. We want to love Jesus. And loving Jesus doesn't just mean that I love him on my own terms. I've got to speak his love language in a sense. Loving Jesus means, he says, if you love me, the language actually is you will keep my commandments. I always understood this in such a weird way. Like Jesus is like, hey, if you love me, you know, you ever had somebody, if you, my wife does this to me all the time. She's like, if you love me, you'll go find out what that noise was, okay? <laughs> it's like, okay, I love you. Love casts out fear, you know. You know, that's, Jesus here is not going, hey, like, come on, all right? If you love me, you say you love me, then obey me, okay? What he's saying here is he's saying a truth. This is just a truth. The truest test of our love for Jesus is not what we feel, but it's what we do. Like, we could say, we, but, like, this is what it means to grow in love with Jesus, to do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's just a fact, Obedience to Jesus. I wrote it down this way. I just said it a couple times, but the truest test of our love for Jesus is the degree of our obedience to him. The truest test of our love for Jesus is the degree of our obedience to him. So, so that's why we sign up for this same school that Jesus himself learned obedience. We go, okay, Lord, teach me obedience. Teach me obedience because I know my default is disobedience. Teach me obedience because I see that it's the way that I can love you. It's the way that I can serve you. Um, as learners and students of obedience, here's the question we asked this morning. With Abraham before us, and his example before us, what can we learn from him? What can we learn as students of obedience? What can we learn from Abraham's? Uh, we look at this verse again to get now an idea of, of what a, uh, uh, obedience can look like as we look on at Abraham's example. As students of obedience, by grace, through faith, accepted, called to obey because we are 
we see that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. A couple of things that we learn from Abraham about spiritual obedience. Write this down. Spiritual obedience we see from Abraham is what it teaches us. One of the first things we see from the example of Abraham as we're growing in this is we see this visible principle about how spiritual obedience calls us out of the old and into the new. Spiritual obedience is a call out of the old way into a new way. This is how Jesus taught his disciples. You have heard it said, here's the old that you've heard of how to live and how to be the best kind of human. But I say to you, I'm calling you out of the old into the new. And Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, before he became Abraham, is obviously an example of how obedience calls us out of the old. Abram was called to get out of his country, from his family, and from his father's house in order to step into the promises that God had for him. This is so important. God, in a moment here, we saw it, is going to be blowing Abraham's mind with all the incredible things he has prepared for him. The things which no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. These incredible promises before him. But isn't it interesting that God says to Abraham, in order for me to bring you into the new, you've got to first sever from the old. And this is kind of the theme in scripture, that anytime God calls his people into something, great and awesome and fulfilling and Jesus-y and amazing, anytime God calls us into something, it's always preceded by him first calling us out of something. Like, I can't call you in unless you get out of what you're currently in. You know, I kind of have the picture in my head of there's one hand on, uh, that, that's kind of reaching for what God has. God's like, I have a great plan for your life. I have a bl- I have blessing before you. And then on one hand, we reach for it. We say, God, I want it. Yet on the other hand, we kind of hold on to the old, and we're stuck in this tug of war where God is calling us in, but it requires us severing from the old, letting go of the old. Abram had a, a few key things that he had to let go of, and and though they might not translate to us physically, there's a lot of interesting spiritual representations here of what God was calling Abraham out of that I think apply to us this morning as well. Uh, the first thing God calls Abraham out of, notice this, is his country. His country. Uh, Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldeans. This is a, a, a context that was beyond ancient in, in its modern expression. It, it was educated there was uh, advancements in technology. Uh, there, was, uh, there was like humanism, secular humanism, um, using the sciences and the arts at its highest uh, potential. This is a place just booming with an economy, booming with a culture. It's like your modern-day New York City. It's your modern-day Los Angeles. It's your modern-day metropolis, your, your major city. Um, in this context that Abraham was in, you, you, could, you could understand it almost like it's a system of the world. It represents the world, the way of the world, the culture of the world, the carnality of the world. Um, the book of Joshua tells us that Abraham was an idolater in Ur of the Chaldees, that he was just kind of going with the flow of culture. That's, that's what dead things do, right? They just kind of float downstream. And there he was. He's dead in his sin. He's separate from God. And God comes to him and calls him out of his culture, calls him out of the world, calls him out of his own country. Is that not applicable to us 
Abraham is called out of the system of the world. Uh, this is, by the way, the definition of who and what the church is. The ecclesia in the Greek is the called out ones. That's who the church is. The, the very name that we have, it's an older uh, word used to describe an assembly of people that are called out and separate from the community they're in. But same is true of the church. This is the language used in 1 Peter 2.9. That you are a chosen generation, the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, notice this, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, so, so that's the, the language of scripture. This, this same picture of being called out of the world. Now, we're, we're not called to colonize and subculturize away from the world. You know, it's like, oh, we're called out of the world, let's get away from there. You know, let's make our own music, our own t-shirts, you know, have our own language. And we'll just be a little subculture and we'll make sure we, we get out of the world. You know, we got to stay away from the world. And it's like, that's, no, it's not it. That's not it. You know, Jesus himself models what it looks like, um, even by coming into the world himself. The Bible says that Jesus was the word became flesh. I love the message version. It says that, that God became flesh and Jesus, he moved into the neighborhood. I love that. That's the message version. When God became a man, he, he moved in right next door. But Jesus tells us this. He, he was especially, in calling the church this as well, to be in the world, not removed from the world, in the world, but not what? But not of the world. Marching to a different drumbeat. Called out. Call, called to live in, but differently. Called out from the culture. Called out from the flow. Called out from the system of the world to follow God instead. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you living a called out life? Are you following the flow of the world? Are you following the flow of culture? Or is there something unique about the rhythm and the direction of your life? Not that you've escaped the world. But living within it, you are setting a different direction, a different kind of example, a counterculture way. This is the way of Jesus. Another thing that we see Abram being called out of is not just his country. Notice this. Get out of your family. Now, depending on what this means to you, this could be an exciting thing for you. Like, I'm all about that. Like, those family reunions, stress, me, called out of my family? Okay, I could do a month without my family, you know? Um, this is, by the way, his extended family, okay? Um, and, and now for Abraham, this wasn't like an easy thing. In that culture, your family was your identity. You are who your father was, who your grandfather was, who your great-great-grandfather was, all the way from your vocation to your cultural connections to your societal status. I mean, it was all about who your daddy was, you know? It was all about who your family was. And notice this, God then calls Abram, not just out of the context of the world, but I also want to call you out of an old identity. I want to call you out of a fleshly identity, an identity that's just merely based on who your parents are and what your family is. And God is saying, I have a whole new identity for you in me. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. This is the new identity we have in Jesus. Old things, the old ways of identifying ourselves, which, by the way, it doesn't mean that you are less than who you are in your family. I mean, your family plays a big part in who you are in your identity. But God's like, no, the point is I have more for your identity than just where your family lineage has brought you, 
what your parents' decisions have done to you, whether good or bad. I hope you can have some honor in the heritage of your family, but God's like, that's not who you are in me. In me, you're a new creation. You have a heavenly father. You have a spiritual family. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God is calling Abraham to break away from this earthly thing that defines him exclusively to experience a heavenly identity in him. And Abraham definitely ends up being that. We, we now know Abraham as this father, this identity in Christ, this spiritual identity for many nations to come. Next, not just out of your country, not just out of your family, Abraham, I want you to move out of the basement, all right? Get out of your father's house. Your father's house. This is a calling now out of his immediate family. Um, and certainly this was a major part of identity, but what God is calling, I want you to see this, what God is calling Abraham out of here is his financial and earthly security that comes through his lineage, that comes through his father. Um, we know that Abraham was a wealthy man, by the way. He was a man of great financial security. But there's something to this calling, calling Abraham out of his father's house into something new where God is saying that the, the primary thing I want your life to depend on and trust in is not what you can put in your bank account. That's great. Abraham, you're going to be rich, okay? I'm going to take care of your bank account. I'm God. I provide. I'm going to take care of you. But that must never be where you trust. If you trust there, you will fall. You will fail. You will pierce yourself through with many sorrows if you trust in riches, is what Paul says. I'm calling you out of your father's house, out of your security. I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to follow me into a life that finds its security in me. Look at 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says to the church, command those who are rich. If God has filled up your account, if God has blessed your hard work, if you're in a position of resource, Scripture commands you not to be haughty. By the way, you're like, is that, is that a good thing? I'm a haughty, right? No, this is a bad haughty, okay? <laughs> like, I'm a rich haughty. No. This is, this is, by the way, this is something I could define, but it's something we all know because it's something we've all seen. It's when someone is very proud and boastful and arrogant in their success. If you have wealth and resource, don't think you are the source of it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Don't be proud and boastful, nor trust in uncertain riches that we think are so certain. We think we'll pay our way to the top. No, don't trust in that. Trust in the living God. The language here is that of idolatry. Turn from the idol that you're trusting in. Trust in the living God who is the source of all the things we enjoy. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is what God is calling Abraham out of. Out of your context and your secular culture, out of the system of the world, out of your identity that's based in simply these earthly things. And Abraham, I want you to come out of this false sense of security that comes through riches, which can't ever give you and only I can. The reason why God is calling Abraham out is because God has some incredible things he wants to see Abraham in. I want you to just think about that for a second. Like, what old thing are you holding on to? What old thing do you need to let go of to step fully into what God has? Did you notice this in verse 4? It tells us that when Abram departed of Genesis 12, he brought his nephew with him. Did you guys notice this? Now, what's amazing is how gracious God is with this. Abraham becomes this feature of obedience. 
even though he doesn't fully obey. God's like, leave your family behind. He's like, okay, I'll bring my nephew. I mean, of all people, why are you bringing your nephew? But okay, you know. I like my nephew Lot. Come on, Lottie, you're coming with me, all right? Now, Lot's father passes away, and, and there's a sense in which Abraham's kind of his caretaker. But, but still, the principle is that Abraham doesn't fully obey what God called him to do. Abraham doesn't, listen, fully sever with the old that God calls him out of. And listen, that compromise, if you read through Genesis, you know what you see? You see all sorts of problems that come up because Lot's there. How many problems? A lot, okay? <laughs> all right. Lot becomes the thorn in Abraham's flesh all along the way. Conflict after conflict. There's injustice. There's evil, demonic sin that takes place. That little thing you're unwilling to let go of. That little thing that's keeping you in the old. And that you look on it and you go, I'm holding this. No, it's chaining you, keeping you from what God has for you. God says, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of that old way. Because I've got a whole new thing for you. And that's always the promise with God. Anytime he calls us out, it's because he's got something better he's calling us into. And Abraham displayed obedience by leaving behind those things, at least partially. Another thing we see with Abraham's obedience is that spiritual obedience calls us, this is a hard one, okay? I'm going to say that I'm not, some, some of these messages I'd like to say as a pastor, I preach for my strengths. This is definitely one that I'm, I, I'm preaching through weakness and having to have walked through this and God growing me in this one. But spiritual obedience, another thing we see with Abraham is that it calls us to go despite what we know, or maybe a better way to say this is what we don't know, okay? God tells Abram, we saw it there in the verse, get out of your house, your country, your family, to a land that I will show you. Okay, and then Hebrews 11 says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. God's got some awesome things for me. And he went out having no, no idea where you're going. Right, Abram, I heard, I heard you're moving. Yeah, you know, I'm just... God's called me out, you know, and so I'm packing up, you know, got the kids in the car, a lot too, but, um, you know, we're going to go. Where are you headed? I, I don't know. Okay, what, what road are you going to take? Where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. How are you going to know when you got there? I'm just going to go. So Abraham goes out by faith, and here's the reason why. Because God has called him. God has given him, listen, enough direction to obey. Not enough details <laughs> to have all the answers, but enough direction to obey. You ever been there? God's like, I want you to do this thing. Well, God, how's it going to turn out? What's it going to look like? How are they going to feel about it? God, can you, here, I'll do it. I'll obey once you answer all my questions and give me all the details. And God's like, well, then that wouldn't be a step of faith. And I wouldn't get the glory for that. And you wouldn't grow in faith through that. This is where I definitely resonate with this. Brittany and I, you know, four or five years ago, we, were, we just knew that we were called out of our, our, our uh, past ministry context. We, we knew that there was some promise, like God had said, like, you're gonna, you need to plant a church. You need to start a church. But people they were like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to church plant. And they'd be like, where? We're like, shh, a place, hopefully with people, you know, like. You know, at one point we're like, maybe just spin a globe and throw a dart at it. You know, I don't know. But, and here's what I learned. God was calling for my faith 
to go where he's directing, trusting that he's going to be the one that directs my steps along the way. He's going to fill in the details. He's going to keep me posted on a need-to-know basis, knowing exactly what my faith needs at every moment. Sometimes my faith does need some clarity. God is not the enemy of details. God will give us details when he knows we need them. But sometimes God knows the thing that my faith needs is just to keep going based on what he's already told me. Even when I don't see the next step, but I'm trusting him. I'm going to obey that he knows he's going to lead me. Oftentimes, this is how God will direct us. He'll give us direction without details. He'll say, I want you to go even though you don't, despite what you know. Um, This is one of those proverbs that you're like, why is it in there? Okay? A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Like, we all want to be in step with the Lord. We all want to follow his plan. But if we're following his plan, he's going to be the one that's going to have the understanding. We're going to be the ones who are following and trusting when he directs. Now, the other way you could do this is you can have all the understanding and have your own way. A lot of us, we do that. We result and we resort to counterfeit versions of what God has for us because it's the path of least faith. It's the path of most reason. Okay, I could do this and do that, and that'll work out this way. And we become these, like, you know... We do these algorithms. We become these mathematicians trying to figure our own lives out. Like, listen, you might have, through your own understanding and your own way, you might have the security of knowing what your every next step is, by the way, to some degree, because nobody really does. But the thing you won't have is God's direction, God's blessing, God's leading. And though it's harder, it's always better. It's always better. When we were called to go out, there were so many opportunities we had to sort of settle for some counterfeit version of what God was calling us to in stepping out in faith, walking away from our financial security, walking away from everything, to to really trust that God said, start a church. It's my church. You're just going to show up and be there, and I'm going to grow it. I'm going to bring, it's not up to you. Just do what I'm calling you to do. And all along the way, I can't tell you, this this is always how it is. There's always other options. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's always a way out. There's always some sort of counterfeit version. And I'm encouraged by the life of Abraham who said, you know what, I I don't care if I don't have all the details. I wrestle with that, but I'm going to follow God's direction regardless. I think Paul is also a great example of this in Acts 20. Here's what he says in Acts 20. He says, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. So that was God's direction. He was bound spiritually to a certain direction. You ever been there? Like, you're like, where's your Bible verse that tells you where you're supposed to go? You're like, I just am bound in the spirit. I just, God has put this on, like Nehemiah. He put it on my heart to build a wall. And I'm bound in this direction by the Spirit. Not knowing, here it is, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So Paul's like, I know this is the direction, even though I have no idea what it's going to look like. Actually, he knows a few things, except that the Holy Spirit testifies. Like, I love the one piece of information that the Holy Spirit gave him about the future. Chains and tribulations await you. It's like, do you really want to know the details? <laughs> you know? Sure, here's the details. Persecution. It's like, okay, all right. But I love Paul, but none of these things move me. My knowledge or lack of knowledge is not what moves me in life. My decisions are not based by my own calculations. My decisions are based on the calling of God. I'm not moved by these things, nor do I count my life dear to myself. My goal is to finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive. Like, this is the goal at the end of life, guys. Not accumulation, not all understanding, but the goal at the end of our life is to finish our race with joy. And to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to, that you've received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to his grace. Paul models this. Abraham models this. Lastly, spiritual obedience calls us, this is so important, into 
the blessing of God. And uh, this is like an early cue, but I'll invite the band to start to get ready to come up. No rush, um, but hurry up. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> genuinely, no rush. Um, spiritual obedience calls us into the blessing of God. All that God was calling Abraham out of, out of his country, out of his family, from your father's house, to land, I will show you. All the faith that God was calling Abraham to have, this direction without details, was ultimately to be motivated by God's promise, where God says, go do these things because of what I'm going to do through these things. Through your step of faith, I'm going to do some things that will blow your mind. I just need you to obey me, and I'll do the rest. Watch what I do. And this is such an important promise and a reminder for, for obedience. Because listen, at the root issue of your and my obedience to God, it's the same issue that was the issue in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were tempted away from obeying God, the temptation was, is God's motive for your obedience actually good? Like, maybe you've worked for someone before who, like, required your obedience for a selfish reason. Like, come on, whatever side of the aisle spectrum, wherever you fly on that bird, left or right, like, we all to some degree have been like, why does the government want me to do what they're telling me to do? And so we can get to these points where we, where we, we struggle to obey God because we project on, project on him these flawed authority mindset things where we've been led to, it's like, why should I obey? Is, is, do you actually have my best in mind? And this was the, the temptation from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Satan whispers in their ear, yeah, that's not really why God told you to do that. You think that's why God wants you to obey? No, he knows that if you obey, he'll get what he really needs as though God could be in need. He knows that you, if you disobey, that you'll become like him. And this is for, for Abraham, for us today. Like this is the lie that we've got to call out and confront with the truth of God. This lie that says that God doesn't have your best in mind when he calls you to obey. Faith is going, God, like Abraham, I'm trusting that when you call me to obey, it's because you have a you have blessing ahead of me. There's, there's blessing that comes from your good heart and your good hand when I do the thing I don't understand, but you're calling me to do because you're good. And so your commands, they're, they're not burdensome. They're not to bind me down. They're actually to open me up into a more flourishing life. That's what obedience leads to. And we know this. It's not, by the way, it's not like a science where like, okay, if you want to get what you want in life, obey God and your bank account will be filled, you know, and you'll get the job. If you, no, that's not always the case but you will be blessed. You will be blessed eternally. You will be blessed spiritually. And more than that, I, I want you to point out this. You're going to be a blessing when you obey. Like Abraham had no idea the outcome. At that moment when he's taken the step of faith, do we think, do we think you have any idea that Abraham knew the, the outcome of his obedience in that moment? Now, Abraham didn't see the outcome of his obedience in his own lifetime, but the blessings of his obedience have rung out for centuries to come. Like, you never really know how God is going to use your obedience. You never really know. Only God does. Scripture says this in Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in obedience, in doing good. 
like Abraham, trust God, believe that he has your best, that blessing is ahead for you and those around you. In due season, you'll reap if you don't lose heart. Um, this is the, the model and the image of Abraham. Um, invite the band to come out and we'll, we'll, we'll transition here. Um, we have a, l- a little bit more announcements today. We want to close, uh, though it's 1130, if you've got to get to your, um, your brunch. Uh, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you're welcome to. That was a joke. I, I sincerely mean that. Um, but I want to transition our, our, our minds here for a second to the gospel of Jesus. And, you know, when you hear a message of obedience, you shouldn't leave with you on your mind. Which is where this tends to go. I got to try harder, right? Now, I want to point out as we close here, and we're going to take a moment of communion. I want to point out two final things about Abraham's obedience and how it points us to God. Okay. The first thing I want to point out is the partial obedience that Abraham actually displays in the story that's not focused on in Hebrews. Okay, so Hebrews is all like, look how obedient Abraham is. He, he did the thing that he was called to do. I just love this about God. He's like, ah, oh, you got some issues, but it's okay. Let's, let's focus on your strengths. When you read the narrative that we read there, and there in verse 4, Abraham obeys, but he partially obeys. He doesn't even fully obey God. He brings his nephew with him. And notice this, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, many commentators have and scholars have looked into this, and even the geography of this, and, and the, the language of this is kind of communicating that Abraham is partially leaving his territory, but he's not fully going into the unknown where God is calling him. Now, God brings him there eventually. God brings him to full obedience. But, but this shows me two things about God. Number one, this shows me that God is much more patient than I think he is. I struggle sometimes to be patient with my kids when they're disobedient. Anybody else? Any other parents? I struggle with that. And maybe I struggle with God's patience when I'm disobedient. When I'm not obedient. We see this picture again of this God who stretches out his arms in grace and patience, even to Abraham. Abraham obeys God, but it's like over time, it's slow. This shows us two things, that God is patient in terms of our obedience, but he's also purposed. He has our best in mind. He's always looking to work us into greater obedience. Abraham shows us this. Ultimately, Abraham doesn't point to Abraham. He points to God. How God can use broken and flawed people like you, me, and Abraham who are dragging our feet in obedience to God, but the hope of our obedience at the end of the day is not our ability. It's the spirit of God's work in our life to soften our hearts and take us where we could never go on our own. In John chapter 8, Jesus is nearly murdered. It wasn't his time, so it didn't happen. But he's nearly stoned because he referred to himself as greater than Abraham. Today we're like, wow, Abraham's pretty great. Jesus is like, he's pretty great. But Jesus is the greater than Abraham. Ultimately, Abraham points us to Jesus who didn't just leave his earthly country. 
Jesus didn't just leave some sort of earthly household, the house of his father. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, God himself, living in the community of the Trinity for eternity past, living in this perfect fellowship of love. Scripture says, He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the greater than Abraham. Abraham leaves his country and his father's house. Jesus leaves heaven. Jesus leaves the community of relationship with his heavenly father to come into this world, to be obedient. Listen, because you and I weren't. Because we've fallen short, because we're in Adam and Romans tells us this, that by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. This is so good. But by one man's obedience. And by the way, that one man is, is not any of us sitting in this room. That man is Jesus. By one man's obedience, those of us who are disobedient have been made righteous. Because he became our disobedience on the cross to gift us his righteousness to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Here, here's where I want your hope to go. The obedience of Jesus. The hope of our salvation, the hope of our lives is not our obedience. It's the obedient obedience of Jesus that turned around what even Adam had caused. So let's take a moment. We have these elements before us. And I want you to take a moment to reflect on the obedience of Jesus the greater than Abraham who went to the cross for your and my sin. And here's what this moment's for. I want you to take a moment to reflect on not only who God is, but let's be honest with who we've been. If there's been like blatant disobedience or partial obedience in our life, let's bring that before the Lord. He knows it. He sees it. If there's something he's calling you out of that you're still holding on to, let's bring that before Jesus right now. Here it is, Lord. Free me from this. And then take your time to focus in on the obedience that Jesus has poured out on you.